Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 12. And last Sunday, or the message was titled last time we were in Isaiah, is the Messiah won't be delayed. And the beautiful thing about what we went through, and you know, the sevenfold spirit of God, a lot of good stuff in there, happened centuries before Jesus came to the earth. Uh, And you know, the Israelites were in a really bad place. You read the Old Testament prophets, things were very difficult. Uh, They had brought on a lot of problems themselves. But you know, the cool thing was that God interspersed these messages of hope. And one of the messages of hope was that the Messiah was coming. As a matter of fact, even if, if a person doesn't know the Lord and maybe they have a Jewish background, you can actually lead somebody to the Messiah through the 66 chapters of Isaiah. There's a lot of proof in there up into the timeline when the Messiah would come, the political climate, uh, the line of people that he would come from. Uh, very fascinating stuff. And today, the message is called Babylon has fallen. Now, there is a 6th century BC kingdom of Babylon. I'm going to actually show some pictures of the ruins of Babylon. Fascinating. It's in Iraq right now. They're still there. Uh, but there's also another element to it. There's the ge- geographical, there's the, the kingdom uh, of, of, the, of history, and then there's also mystery Babylon. And we can find this in Revelation 17, Revelation 18, Revelation 14, uh, verse 8, Babylon has fallen. Now that's interesting because that's going to be in our future. When this was prophesied to the Israelites, everything was the future. The Messiah coming, Babylon coming. Nobody could, Babylon was nothing back then. But also uh, the millennial kingdom of the, of the Christ. That, all that stuff was coming. It was a little nebulous to them. In, in the 21st century, we look back, we have the hindsight to say, hey, a lot of those things happen, but we also, sort of like the Israelites, can look forward to some of the things that, that the Lord is going to do, um, very powerful, that we get to experience as well. And I'm going to look at this in four parts. So jumping in, in verse 12, I'm going to do 12 and 13 because 12 is short. Verse 12, it says, In that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song, and he also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. If we could put up the first map. The first out of four steps is really thanksgiving in the millennial kingdom. Again, future from where we are right now. But What's the context? Well, the context, what did we uh, talk about before? We spoke about how Jesus in his millennial kingdom would reign in Jerusalem, and you have everyone to the west and everyone to the east. He spoke about the the Red Sea 
you know, sort of kind of making it where it's, it's not as, you know, mammoth to cross and making streams out of it. He spoke about the same thing about the Euphrates. And if you look at where the millennial kingdom will take place, what God was making sure happened was that his people from, this is Africa over here, right? We're over here somewhere. That they could travel east, even if they're on sandals, if they're poor. That they could get to see the Lord in Jerusalem. Also, you got the Euphrates, which is, if you've ever been over in that area, uh, it's a mighty river. He was going to splinter that up into like little tributaries so that people from the east could cross west. So it's pretty neat. Uh, again, a future occurrence. He's going to change some of the topography of the landscape in these lands, these beautiful lands. And that's what we're looking at. Now, if you look at the elements of this prayer, of this attitude towards God, it's kind of funny because a light bulb went off as I'm reading this. You know, I always prepare my notes and I always leave, I pray about my notes and I also, also leave the Holy Spirit opportunity to speak to me while I'm actually going through the sermon. And one thing I didn't have in my notes is that the writer kept saying me. It's personal. And this is kind of like an Old Testament type of New Testament salvation through Jesus Christ. It's personal. So I wanted to get that out before I forgot. So now going into my notes, let's look at the elements of this. God's righteous anger over sin. Again, in our future, um, unfortunately, you know, Israel's leadership right now is not a Christian leadership. It's not necessarily a God-honoring leadership. It's a mostly secular, although some religious elements to it. Okay, it's a kind of a little bit of a combination. But this world leader, this global leader who takes prominence will deceive a lot of people. And he'll dupe a lot of people into thinking that he is the Messiah. Jesus actually said this when he walked the earth in, in John's gospel. You don't accept me, who was prophesied about, but many of you will accept this coming leader. Okay, So this is after God vanquishes him, the Antichrist and his forces. Um, so basically God, yes, is, is angry over sin and unbelief, especially um, this false messiah that a lot of people had looked up to. But you know what? God is a forgiving God. The people who were speaking about this um, are looking towards repentance and forgiveness of sin. Now, if you look at the gospel today, everybody has something different to repent about. You know, my sins are different from your sins are different from your sins. But we all need to repent, right? Because God is offended by sin. However, with repentance comes forgiveness. Right? 1 John 1.9. Right? He forgives our sins. Um, wells of salvation. I like this because this is, um, you know, you could call them similes, you, similitudes, you can call them metaphors, but whether it was Jesus in his time or the Old Testament prophets, they would use these metaphors. And the reason that they did that was that because a lot of people were un uneducated. So God wanted to reach the educated and the poor and the uneducated. So he used very simple illustrations. Back then, a well, you know, you dug a well, you hit water. If it was a deep well, it seemed like the water was unending. The well could be there for years. Actually, I actually have a well at my house, and it just no matter how much water we use, there's always water there. So he uses that metaphor to express salvation. Salvation is beautiful. It's God's grace. It's unending. It doesn't stop. You know, well, how many sins will it take until God is finally tired of me and cast me away? It's an infinite number. You know, as long as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1.9. So we continue on. Trust and lack of fear. And these are inverse relationships. When we 
receive God's love, when we trust in him, our fear goes down. It's inverse. When we're filled with fear, we're not, we're not really receiving his love. We're not trusting him. We're, it's almost like a, a sympathetic nervous system response that takes over us. We're not thinking clearly. We're in, in, enveloped by fear and panic. So these things are an inverse relationship, right? The joy of salvation and praising him. Again, this is the closeness to God, a relationship with the living God. And thanksgiving, right? Gratefulness. And also an emotional overflow. We see things like singing to the Lord. I want to declare his goodness, right? He's faithful. I'm, I'm receiving blessings. You know, um, some churches are kind of, they want you to kind of be stoic. They want you to be emotionless. But the truth is, I'm passionate from the pulpit. I love teaching this stuff. Like, I'm, you got, there could be nobody here. And I would still enjoy doing this because it's God's word. How could I not be? So you get emotional over it. You know, we do. When a person comes to faith in Christ, and maybe they've been following a cold, dead religion, and they actually now have a living relationship with the living God, sometimes there's tears. Sometimes there's, you know, a lot of different things that come from that because your emotions take hold of you too, and that's not a bad thing. But what we see in all this is that, that the Lord is in the center whether it's the gospel today and our relationship with the Lord now or the millennial kingdom and Christ literally ruling from Jerusalem, there is a tangible, honest-to-goodness relationship with the living God. Jumping into 13, we're going to switch gears a little bit. He says, The burden against Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw, lift up a banner on the high mountain, raise your voice to them, wave your hand that they may enter the gates of the nobles or the gates of Babylon. I have commanded my sanctified ones, I have also called my mighty ones for my anger, those who rejoice in my exaltation. The noise of a multitude in the mountains like that of many people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, even the Lord and his weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. So what are we talking about here? Well, this is two out of four, and this is the prophecy against Babylon. Okay, so now I have to take you back some 2,700 years ago, some 700 years B.C., to a time where we're like, what? You know, I mean, if you... I don't know, remember in grade school, I learned about Hammurabi's code and Mesopotamia. And some of my history teachers were actually very interesting. And I, I kind of got into history. But we're going to take you back because this is God's people across the seas in a different time, different language, different culture. And we have to kind of put ourselves there to understand what's going on. But Israel at the time was divided. The ten nations in the north, Israel, and the two in the south, Judah, and basically, um, her sovereignty started to be taken away. The Assyrians came first in the northern kingdom, uh, invaded, took over, and Israel became a vassal state of Assyria. And then, of course, the Babylonians in the southern kingdom. However, and you can see this, uh, we went through Daniel, the prophet Daniel, very powerful book, right? The Old Testament prophet Daniel. He speaks about the, the, the statue of the different elements, you know, the head of gold, the chest and arms of, um, of silver, you know, the belly and thigh of bronze, and the different kingdoms that would succeed each other. It's funny, every kingdom, prideful men rise up and go, we're going to be the greatest nation and we're going to live forever. 
And then after some time, something happens, another nation takes over, or that nation splinters. Two things can happen. So we see Daniel's prophecy in line with these succeeding uh, kingdoms that start taking over. But what we also see is metaphorically, God is really tired of the wickedness of the Babylonians. So again, in a metaphor, he's whistling, he's waving the, the Medo-Persians or the Medes over to uh, humble Babylon. And again, you can leave here and go into your history book. It's funny, I was actually doing a little research just to make sure I had my dates and my numbers right. And I'm looking in secular historical sources and they're like, oh yeah, in the book of Daniel, it says this. In the book of Isaiah, I'm like, this is so awesome. These are secular sources. Second Kings says this, and they're referring to the Bible. There's a lot of misinformation out there, but truly, if you want to search for God, he's right there even in secular sources because they, give, they have to give him credit because it, it bolsters the archaeological finds that they found in these areas. So it's pretty neat. So he has a burden. And basically, burden can be a heavy weight, but it can be also a message of prophetic doom. Unfortunately, Isaiah had to give this message of doom to the Babylonians before they even rose to power, not to get too prideful, because God was going to allow them to be humbled. All right? Um, And again, today, people get upset when they're told something they don't want to hear. When you look in the Bible, it's loving to warn. God warns. You know, when your kid is reaching for the hot stove and you raise your voice and they might cry because of you shouting at them, but you can't get there in time and your voice changes the, the, the subject so they don't burn their hand. They maybe are a little offended by what you said, like with the Word of God, but they didn't burn their hand. <laughs> so God is, speaks in warnings a lot of times. And again, that's loving to do that. Um, as we go through this, Sometimes we will, again, be speaking of geographical Babylon in the 6th century B.C., but we're going to go somewhere else. Remember, Revelation 17, Revelation 18, Revelation 14. In the future, right, a future from now, there will be a global setup. Uh, It'll be political, economic, and it'll be religious. Now, here's the interesting thing. We have two out of the three. What are you talking about? You realize that you know, the Russian jets buzz our jets. The Chinese and us have these little confrontations. The North Koreans are doing their thing. There is a very fragile global economy. So to actually make war from any ma- ma- major nation can throw off the markets. Even speculation of a, a skirmish will send the markets into a tailspin. So the leaders of various countries are very cautious with each other. It isn't like the old days. So two out of the three, political and economic, we're there, folks. Whether you like it or not, we live in a global community. The third that's coming before the Antichrist can take over is religious. Now that's coming too. I submit to you Europe. Europe is finding many different ways to get, because there's a lot of tension. They're finding many different ways to get people to come together and compromise on religion. But this is going to be the false trinity of the future. It's also going to be in personage, right? The dragon or Satan, the uh, beast or the antichrist, the man of sin, and the false prophet. You see the three. God's number of three is perfect. It's complete. But man and Satan always tries to compete. They want to use the same number, but they want to use different things to insert there. So we're going to look at that. 
For those of you, and listen, if you're new to the Bible, some of what I say is just going to be like, what is he talking about? But I also have to reach those here that are advanced. I personally don't necessarily believe that the Babylonian ruins of 53 miles south of Baghdad are actually going to be revived. I think it's, it's a different type of Babylon. Now, I could be wrong. Bible scholars argue about this stuff. But mystery Babylon is that false religious system. Now, Babylon will eventually be destroyed, not only the ruins, but also this false system, this false religious system. However, Jerusalem will stand. So if you wonder about what you see on the news and you wonder about the politics, the bottom line is Jerusalem. First of all, Jerusalem, there's this argument now. We're going to move our embassies, and I think, um, was it Czechoslovakia said, we're going to do that too. We're going to move our embassies to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the capital. Jerusalem, since 1000 BC, since 3000 years ago, was always the capital of Israel. It got stolen from them over time, right? That, there was a sovereign nation for many years. That's their land, not only geographically, but according to the scripture. So Jerusalem is going to remain Jerusalem, while Babylon lies in ruins. And this is a true tale of two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. We'll continue. Verse 6. Well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel. Now, there's a little switching going on here. And this is, when we go into prophecy, you kind of got to get used to this. God sees everything at once at the same time. He sees the future. We are stuck in linear time. So I'll talk about the past. I'll talk about the future. Sometimes I put up a timeline and you're like, oh, I can follow that. And it helps me to follow it too. Dates are lined up. God throws out his prophecies. And you know, this one now, these next few verses are actually about the second coming or the, when the Lord comes back. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. Cataclysmic events. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil. Now understand that the believers are removed. God never punishes the good with the wicked. He removed the good out of Egypt. He removed the good from Sodom and Gomorrah. You can see these, this typology in Scripture. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the gold wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the earth will move out of her place, and the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger, it shall be as the hunted gazelle, as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people. Everyone will flee to his own land. Everyone who is found will be thrust through. Okay, this is, we're going back to Babylon, geographical. And everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their house will be, houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. This is a historical fact. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them who will not regard silver. And as for gold, they will, do not, they will not delight in it. So three out of the f- uh, four this morning is punishment of Babylon for its wickedness. Now, 
Babylon is a type of, you know, you, you have these old religions. Remember, you have God who's perfect. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? His number seven of perfection. And what you had is over time, Satan trying to inject false worship into humankind. God gave us free will. We can choose Satan's ways or we can choose God's ways. Even in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had a choice. But they were enticed by Satan saying, you know, you can be like God. He did lie to them. Satan always mixes truth with lies. Yes, they would know things, but he promised them like an elevation in status so they could be equal with their creator, which is not possible. Unfortunately, they went for it, and we're all in trouble because of it. <laughs> but thanks to Jesus Christ, he's redeemed it and reversed that. He's reversed that curse of sin, which is beautiful. But, you know, so this is what we have. The Babylonian system, which, Pastor Joe, you're going to show me ruins. Well, it's a spiritual system. It's satanic. It's man's way to become like God, to be equal with God. Um, we're going to read in the next chapter about Satan saying, I'm going to elevate myself to the heavens to be like God, and then God cast him out. You also see elements from Babylon going into Rome, the Roman Empire. You know, people say, well, Constantine, the emperor, became a Christian. Okay, it's not as easy as that. Whether he did or he really didn't, I can't really say 100%, but I'll tell you this that the Christians were being persecuted. Constantine says, I, I saw a vision, I believe in Jesus. So what he does is, he, I think it's called the Edict of Toleration. He puts this edict out to make everybody stop persecuting and killing the Christians, putting them in the Colosseums, which was a great relief. However, if Satan can't get the church from the outside, he tries to infiltrate it. So this was Satan's opportunity now to infiltrate it. What Constantine did was he merged. He didn't want to make seven-eighths of the Roman Empire furious with him, and they were all pagans. So what he did was he mixed a lot of the Christian rites and rituals with the paganism. And we unfortunately see some of this in our holiday celebrations, right? Some of the things we observe. You see this sometimes in some organized religion. And you say, why do they do that? That's totally not scriptural. Unfortunately, this poison has infiltrated and has... has, has that's why we need to read the Word of God. Because the Word... Well, sh sh this church does this. Your church does that. Okay, what does the Word of God say? That's really got what the foundation, that's why you all got Bibles in front of you. Is if I say something wrong, believe me, somebody will come up to me and say, hey, you missed that phrase, or I don't know if that's really correct, or what do you mean by that? And I'm good with that. Because knowledge really is power when it comes to spiritual things. All right? Man prefers his own way to God, which is really no way at all. But God has a set way to be worshipped, and he's the one who created everything, so why wouldn't we try to seek what he wants? I wonder about even religionists or denominations where they, they shy away from reading the Bible. Wait a minute. Jesus is the one who founded everything. In John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll follow my word. So if we're not reading his word, how do we know what his word is to know if we love him or not, to know if we're following it or not? It's, all, it's logic. And this is where we get into the realm of apologetics. How do we defend our, ourselves? Or how do we defend our faith? How do we make a good case for what we believe? Okay, let's continue. Verse 8, he speaks about the judgment coming on Babylon as a woman in childbirth. And all that means, that's been used before um, when the baby is just about ready to be born. The contractions increase in time with frequency and intensity. And the judgment on Babylon, would it might be a little reprieve, but then it would start up again. right? But the judgment was coming. 
Verses 9 through 13 speak about the day of the Lord. Okay, um, I've covered this in the Revelation study. You can get that for free online. Revelation 6, 12 through 14, the sixth seal, judgment, comes down. Um, Revelation 17 through 18, and Matthew 24, 29. He says that, again, in this day of the Lord, he's interspersing it with, and I'm going to make sense of it with the times, trust me. Um, the day of the Lord, again, is our future. That's when the Lord comes back, the armies of the Antichrist, the big battle in Armageddon. Of course, it's, a, it's an easy win for the Lord. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of sadness and suffering because of that, because much of the world is going to go after this false messiah. Okay? He compares men to work or fight uh, scarce men as fine gold. And in other words, um, nations will be looking for men, 100 men to be in their army at least, 100 men to work and to rebuild. But there's going to be so much um, wars and stuff that the population is going to decrease and uh, some good fighting men are worth as much as gold because they're scarce. It's the law of supply and demand. It's simple economics. Um, it, it works today as well. Uh, Nahum 2, the prophet, also spoke about these similar judgments in Nahum 2 on Nineveh. And again, what men do is they raise up, especially in these days, it was uh, the battle of testosterone. You know, another group of men would raise up and say, hey, our nation is great. But if you follow some of these, these kingdoms, Rome thought they would be around forever. They hadn't been. The vast British Empire in their imperialistic days went really far into Africa and India. Now they're, they've shrunk, right? They thought they would be around forever. The Third Reich rose and started taking land very quickly in North Africa and Eastern Europe, etc. But, of course, they were knocked out. And even old communist Russia with the Iron Curtain and the Baltic states, if you read your history, these nations, it's, it's all about pride. It's all about power. And then again, God humbles them and reduces them. Okay? I got news for you. Our country, and I'm very patriotic, uh, our country's, from what I read in End Times Prophecy, we're not in it. You can use your imagination of what that might mean. Do we disintegrate from the inside? Look at all the division that's going on. Um, is it a nuclear strike? Is it, don't know. So I'm not going to speculate where the Bible's silent. Continue on. Now let's look at a few of the uh, images from Babylon today. If we could put up the first image. This is, this is actually, these are the gates of Babylon that are still standing. Uh, there was, you know, actually in this picture, it's a panoramic one. Uh, if I had the whole picture up here, you would see our troops over here, I believe, in 2003, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but you see American troops over here. They actually, when they went into Iraq, um, this was one of the places they visited. Very historic. Uh, at, at Babylon's height, the walls were so tall and so wide that actually on the wall, you could ride three chariots abreast, doom, 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 across and patrol to check to see who's coming to invade. So again, these are ruins. A lot of the stuff's been knocked down, destroyed, but some of the gates of Babylon still stand. Second picture. You can see the intricate carvings. These walls are really high, really high walls. They intricately carved some of their, their deities and their superstitions into the walls. Next one. This is actually real pretty. Uh, this is the Ishtar Gate. This was found by German archaeologists and they actually recreated it brick by brick, painted it, and uh, 
Um, it's just a really, it was a real pretty kingdom. Unfortunately, it was filled with really bad things. So I just wanted to show you that. Verse 17, and then we'll really get into the, the time frames and such. Behold, I read this again, behold, I will stir up the Medes. That's really, really, really important, the Medes. Because back then, people were like, who the heck are the Medes? This tribe of, of nobodies. Watch what the Medes do. I will stir up the Medes against them, Babylon, who will not regard silver, and as for gold, they will not delight in it. And their bows will dash the young men to pieces. They will have no pity on the fruit of the womb, their eye will not spare children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents here, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. As you can see, there's really nothing going on there. But wild beasts of the desert will lie there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats will caper there, and hyenas will howl in their citadels, and jackals and their pleasant practices her time is near to come, and her days will not be prolonged. For the last part for this morning is finally the desolation of Babylon. In 539 B.C., the Medo-Persians came, and basically what, very, they were very smart, because uh, Babylon was built on two banks of the Euph- Euphrates River. And what they did was that part of it was built over the river, and what the troops did, the invading troops, was they... They dug these, took a long time to dug, dig all these moats in a place where Babylonians wouldn't have think to guard. And at some point they diverted part of the Euphrates, dropped the level, and the soldiers snuck in at night underneath and got into the city. They were armed men. Babylonians, and this is in the book of Daniel, right? Belshazzar. Mini, mini, tekel, eupharsin. The handwriting on the wall. That's where that comes from. Um... It, they basically came in, and everybody was having a drunk party. So when they were startled to see them, really, they killed some people, but pretty much it was without a shot fired. Now, at this time, the Medes were nobodies. And I love what God does in prophecy. He does this a lot. He makes a prophecy, which is telling the future. And it's so outlandish, but it's, he knows the future, that people disbelieve him. And it was the same thing in Isaiah's day. Isaiah lived roughly the 8th century B.C. Secular sources confirm Isaiah, all 66 chapters. Um, the Bible was codified you know, well, well before the 3rd the century B.C. And he says the Medes are going to do this. People are like, what are you talking about? We know who the Medes are. They can't do anything. So if I can bring up the map, I'm going to go through this kind of quickly. And this is really where, where apologetics come in. If you're new to the church, a lot of times we make application. We all like application. Uh, but there are some times where I actually have to go into the historical aspect of it to help you to understand why you believe what you believe. Why do we know that the Word of God is true? So basically what happens is you have the Assyrian Empire who was just giving everybody a hard time. They just were horrible people. Nineveh was their capital. Um, in 722 B.C., they come over here. Remember, this is the Syrian desert. So they, they have to kind of go up the Euphrates, make an ark. 734 B.C., they attack Syria, um, Damascus, and they demolish it. Assyrians are in now in charge of Syria. Then they continue south, and they go into the northern kingdom of Israel. 720, 
724 to 721 BC, they attack the capital Samaria, uh, 721, they're inside. Now both of these nations are under Assyrian control. They had a little pact with, uh, with uh, King Ahaz in J- Jerusalem, but of course they broke that. Um, they attack, they attack, they attack, they make a mess of, of the southern kingdom, but God spares Jerusalem. 701 BC, the, um, God sends his angel to take out 185,000 of the army of Assyria. Kind of come back with their tail between their legs, they lost so many people. So then they start harassing the people near them. In 689 BC, remember I'm going down. BC, as you go lower, you're getting closer to the present. 689 BC, what they do is the Assyrians, they, they kind of leave the western side alone, the eastern front. They go into Babylon, 689 BC, and destroy Babylon. That's a real problem for prophecy because he said the Medes would do it. We're not done yet. <laughs> it's Sennacherib is the king here. Demolishes Babylon, doesn't level it to the ground, kills a lot of people. However, Sennacherib leaves and Esarhaddon, his son, takes over. And Esarhaddon says, I'm paraphrasing, I love Babylon. <laughs> so he takes all of his uh, wealth and makes Babylon and uh, builds it back up again. Esarhaddon. And then what happens is Babylon gets tired of Assyria and so does everybody else here. This is where the Medes come in. The Babylonians under Nabopolassar and the Median king Cyaxares team up in 612 BC and annihilate Nineveh. Now the Babylonians are in control. Nebuchadnezzar comes into power. He's not happy with just destroying Nineveh, so he goes in his forces. They go up to Karshemish because it's the Assyrians are on the run. It's the last battle, 605 BC. Karshemish is the Battle of Karshemish, and they also put Egyptians in their place. Very interesting because Egypt was coming up this way, and King Josiah stops the forces of Pharaoh Necho, right? This is, this is all amazing. The, you go, if you want to go home and listen to it and start taking notes, you'll see that secular history confirms everything that the Bible says. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar puts the Egyptians in their place, annihilates Israel. Nebuchadnezzar now says to Judah in Jerusalem, we want you to, to be a vassal state. You need to pay us. So 601 B.C. to 586 B.C., he keeps going back. Um, the kings uh, Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Uh, he fights with them successively. Eventually, he breaks through the walls of Jerusalem and carries away the people, expatriates them, takes a lot of the wealth. Okay? That's 586 B.C. In 550 B.C., the Medes do something very interesting. They're squirrely little characters, and they're not loyal. They decide, we don't like Babylon anymore. They team up with the Persians because Cyrus is, is now the king of Persia. And ethnically, they're a lot closer to Persia than they are to Babylon. And what they do is, in 539 B.C., they... Um, So the Medes and the Persians storm the gates, and this is how they get in underneath the moat, and there they are. Remember, when Isaiah wrote this, people like, well, all we know is the Assyrians are making our lives miserable. Who the heck are these other people? So God tells history in in advance, and there's a long thing with the Septuagint, which was the Old Testament translated to the, um, the Koine Greek in the early 3rd century B.C., 
So when people say, well, this had to be written afterwards, there's enough evidence, like the book of Daniel, there's enough archaeology that proves it not possible. This was all written beforehand. And that's where the power comes from in God's prophecies. Isn't that interesting? Verse 5, he says, they will come from a far country, and they did. Everybody knew these guys. This was considered a far country. Actually, if we could put up the next map, you have all the stands on the right. Tajikistan, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan. They're all over here. This is Iran. This is Iraq. This, Nineveh was up here, and Babylon was down here. The Medes and the Persians were what's now known as modern-day Iran. Darius the Mede, in Bicetan, Iran, there is a, um, there's a monument built to Darius the Mede, just so you know. So it's all in there. Uh, verse 15, everyone will be thrust through. Cyrus, and, uh, Cyrus the Persian comes in. Again, this is all just fulfilling everything that's in here. Cyrus the Persian comes in. At first, he doesn't take gold and silver, what the Bible says. Babylon rebels again. Uh, Medo-Persians aren't getting the joke this time. This time when they attack and they finally get in, they're out for blood. And that's where all the violence happens. Okay? Um, the bow, verse 18. The Medes were deadly with a bow and arrow. As a matter of fact, there was a, a lot of movies made of this great battle with the Greeks and the Persians. Uh, 300, the Spartans, right? That was the Battle of Thermopylae Pass. The, the Medes and Persians were such, so deadly with bow and arrow, it was like missiles. They would get at a high elevation and they would arch there and they would shoot them. Um, today, in Greece, in the Thermopylae Pass, they've excavated and found literally thousands of bronze-tipped arrows. And that's how the Spartans got taken out, by the bows. We read it right here. Interesting, isn't it? A little side note, the Spartans were all about testosterone and let's fight man to man. They hated the archers. They felt they were cowards because they were from a distance. But heck, they won the battle that way. So whatever you got to do, I suppose. Continuing on, verse 19 through 20. Uh, so Babylon, you know, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be overthrown like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah is actually... They were cities surrounding what we now know as the Dead Sea. If you've ever been to Israel, there's salt everywhere and charred remains. Oh, Sodom and Gomorrah never existed, really. Lot's wife turned to a pillar of, of salt. Um, so Sodom and Gomorrah actually had four cities, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim. But the two most famous ones are Sodom and Gomorrah. Today, it's, it's a wasteland, but people go to, to scoop up some minerals and put them in their you know, Tupperware and take them home to the United States. But other than the, that awesome kind of sea where you can kind of lay in there and float because the mineral content is so high, it's really pretty much uninhabited except by Bedouins. Uh, same thing with Babylon. Alexander the Great was going to rebuild Babylon, but the prophecy had a stand. Alexander the Great died at a young age before he could do that. If you know your history, Saddam Hussein was going to rebuild Babylon, started pumping money into it. The Allied forces came in and took him out before he could do that. So if God says something, I'm, I tell you what, I'm one person that's not going to try to undo it. <laughs> I'll keep me away from that place. Um, it, it's interesting, though. But it is like God's prophecies, just so you know, it's almost like God saying in, 
in 25 years, L.A. will be a wasteland. Los Angeles, there'll be nobody living in it. You'd be like, what? That's the way these prophecies were to the people back then. They were completely impossible. But God's word stands forever. Okay. (laughs) There is another translation that I'm not going to give to... Well, I'll say it because I do do that when I'm up here. Uh, one of the words in verse 22 and verse 21 are, uh, can also be translated, it could be translated an animal, but it could also be translated a demonic entity. It's interesting because Revelation 18.2 says that Babylon is a place for demons. So some people kind of take this and really run with it. Are there some demons there? They could be. But we know that from reading the scripture that uh, Satan has his demons at different countries and different places because just like an army, they look to take over territory. And if you look at North Korea, actually, there's got to be some demons there. Because what he, yeah, but what he does to his people, there was another defector, a female. I can't even say from the pulpit what she said. There was a, a I'm just looking at all these documentaries. There was a soldier, a North Korean soldier who, you know, deserted, you know, hid in the bushes at night. He ran. His own guy shot him up. He had like seven or eight bullet holes in him. He made it to uh, South Korea. He had parasites, and they're the ones that are eating good, the soldiers. The way they treat people there, there is definitely demonic entities, and that dude is always laughing, that jerk, that, the leader, Kim Jong-un. What's so funny, man? I mean, you're, you're torturing your own people, but um, that dude definitely has to be inspired by a demon. That's just my opinion. Um, continuing on, Babylon has fallen. Again, not a whole lot of... Uh, application here, but I really had to kind of set the historical aspect in there so you understand that when God makes a prophecy, you need to listen to every word that he's saying because it will always come true. So even the prophecies that Jesus made about our future, some churches don't teach it. They, don't, they have a problem with eschatology, but we need to know this stuff, right? It's part of what we study here because the Lord even said during communion that he was going to return. He told his disciples and a lot of churches, are, they're so somber about communion, but what they don't do is they don't look to the, the joyful part in the future of the Lord's return. They're taking 50% of what he said and discarding the other 50%. We've got to do it all. So Babylon has fallen. Uh, Babylon was an ancient kingdom, but it was also a prototype to man's rebellion. Ever since the great flood and everyone getting off the ark, um, man's intent was to reach heaven without God, was to become a God, was to become equal with God, or to reach God on his own terms. Hence, if you look at all of the religions of the earth, they all say one of those things. There was a movie made about Mormonism called The God Makers. You ask the missionaries, next time they come to your house, invite them in. Ask them about, you know, if I become a Mormon, if you're a guy, it's very male-dominated. When you die and you're a good Mormon, you get your own planet. You get to play with people and you have your own, you know, you run your own universe. It's like a board game or a video game. Um, that's what they believe. So all of these aspects of mystery Babylon are, are endemic in many of the religions of the earth. However, Jesus came because we can't reach heaven by our own means. That's why Jesus came. We can't get to God by our own self-effort. That's what religions do. I can do this right. I can say these things. Yet, you ever wonder why prayers are memorized? Jesus said, don't pray like the heathen do to, to God. Don't keep repeating yourself. The heathens do that, people who don't know God. So 
you, you remember, there's a part of mystery Babylon in a lot of religions, and it doesn't belong there. The way to find the truth is to go through Jesus Christ. And here's the, here's the very interesting thing. If you were brought up in a religion and you're born again of the Spirit and you have a relationship with God, you will find that you have relatives and friends and peers that will ostracize you because it's good to go from one religion to another, but to actually be born again of the Spirit, they have a problem with that. There, there's a root under that. You understand? It's not of God. So Babylon as a kingdom was judge. It was judged. Mystery Babylon as a system will be destroyed. It's not yet. Unfortunately, it's prevalent on our planet. And here's the thing, folks. There's two choices in life when it comes to eternal destiny. One that is dying and is partially dead and will be destroyed. And one that stands forever. My question to you is, which one do you want to follow? Because there's not a choice number three. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.